Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first on Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 314, brought to you by Hook'em.com, our good friends at Bud Light. I'm Cedric Golden, joined by the Duck, Kirk Bowles, and Duck. There's such a long line of great ESPN personalities that we brought on in the past. Joe Tessitore. You name it, Dick Vitale, Mr. Herb Street. There's so many. Uh, the lovely Holly Rowe. Tom Lugan Bill joins us today. He's going to be on the call for Texas VBYU on Saturday, 2.30 p.m. at DKR. And we're so pleased to have him join us. Tom, how are you today? I'm great, man. It's good to be with you guys. Looking forward to this one this weekend. Yeah, so it's going to be fun. Tom, you're kind of the original transfer portal guy, right? Uh, great <laughs> great junior college quarterback, went to Georgia oh, Tech in Eastern Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, only I was I, – I, I had to do it when there were rules. Um, <laughs> and no money. Uh, and no money. <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting. I've had um, – funny you bring that up because you know obviously with my role in recruiting and 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 obviously deep into the transfer portal with a lot of the stuff that I have to do with college football and recruiting and and I look back you know I was one of those guys that was I was an academic qualifier I was a son of a coach college coach at the time and I was just I was a real late bloomer right nobody really recruited me I played receiver running back quarterback the whole nine yards and I kind of just wanted to prove that I could play quarterback Right. And so I decided to go to the junior college ranks. Two years later, I'm like the highest recruited guy coming out of the junior college ranks. In fact, funny little note here for y'all, me and Sark played against each other. I was at Palomar, yeah, I was at Palomar College. He was at Her? El Camino. Yes. And, yep, and um, it's funny because I was a sophomore. He was a uh, a freshman. We were the number one ranked team in the country. I think they were number three, and we played at that at their place. And I'm going to tell you, our team was really good. We didn't have any close games. And we play them, and we're down with, like, 45 seconds to go in the game. They've done everything they can to win the game. We got the ball on offense, and their coach, for some reason, goes cover zero against us in no backs, five wide. We run five verticals, and I literally lofted one up over the top to our slot receiver, who runs and crosses the goal line as the clock goes to zero. Yeah, we win. We win. They lose. We go on to win the national championship that that year. He plays one more year, obviously transfers on to BYU. Then when I was coaching in the XFL back in 2001, the original XFL, I was a quarterback's coach at Los Angeles. And we had a, an open workout where we brought in some NFL guys, some CFL guys. 
And our workout was was Tommy Maddox. Touchdown Tommy. Uh, Scott, yep, Scott Milanovich and Sark. And we brought in all three of those guys. They all worked worked out for us. We ended up signing Scott and Tommy. Tommy ended up being the MVP of the league. Sark goes up to the CFL, plays another year, maybe year and a half, and ends up uh, getting into coaching and, and joining USC uh, as a uh, as a grad assistant. So, yeah, long winding road there. But anyway, the transfer portal. So I go on. I moved to Georgia Tech. And when I transferred to Georgia Tech, they had a returning starter. And I knew that when I transferred there. So I go in there, and I end up beating them out. I'm the starting quarterback there my junior year. Then – uh, bad season, coaching change. They start coming in with more option-oriented principles. This was right before Joe Hamilton joined right. the program. So you right. kind of knew what they do. Right? Uh, yeah, George O'Leary becomes the interim coach, then becomes the 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 uh, the permanent head coach. And, you know, I was a passer. I wasn't an option guy. So yeah. I had an opportunity to transfer. And in those days, to your point, you either – I had a redshirt year, so I could transfer Power 5 to Power 5, but I'd have to sit out. Uh, or I could just transfer down right. and play right away. And so what I did at the time is I kind of looked for the most storied one double A programs. And at that time, the legendary Roy Kidd was in Eastern Kentucky and um, RIP. He just passed away this past August at 91 years old, um, but had a great finish to my college career. It was a four year starter at three different levels. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't have planned it that way, but couldn't be good. Got to be honest with you, I wouldn't have wanted it to turn out any other way. It was. It's kind of a unique situation. So, yeah, I'm more than familiar with the transfer cycle. And you're familiar with Sark, which I'm sure you reminded from time to time of that last second. Play, oh, we right? talk about it every time I see him because <laughs> his his parents are still in Torrance, uh, Southern California. My parents are in Arizona. <laughs> at the time, my dad was the head coach at San Diego State. He's recruiting me one year, Sark the other year. And so um, we, we just always have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Imagine the money that you could have made in this era oh. as the number one quarterback recruit. Oh, coming out of the junior we, college ranks? Yeah, yeah, we were – Kirk and I were walking out of the, the, the Longhorn facility uh, Monday after the presser, and we get on the elevator, and their star cornerback, Jade Barron, walks in, and he's just really cool. Really, really Yeah, cool. he's a great kid. He's a great yeah. kid, and he's personable, and – uh, he bumps fists with us. He's like, how you living? And we're like, yeah, we just talked to you. And, you know, and so we walk, we get off the elevator and we walk out of there. And he, he gets into a brand new Tesla and drives off. <laughs> what happened when the, what happened to college uh, football players who were broke? They don't exist anymore. No, no more ramen well, noodles, right? Uh, no? Well, I will say this. I will say this. The, the, the whole broke perspective is a little bit fabricated. I, yeah. I, I mean, I as a, as a former scholarship player, I can tell you it's none of us were starving. Right. None of us were starving. Um, now, depending on what your background may have been and what you may have been, come from, uh, that that can be different for every individual. But we were we were plenty outfitted. We were plenty fed. We had <laughs> access to supplements and snacks and tutoring and all you know I, I always hear this oh these guys got nothing trust me what they're getting in their scholarship is plenty and now you add this on top of it and everybody's getting a piece of the pie there's not a lot of movie money out there i mean a lot of guys say well you know wanted to go out on dates and we didn't always have money for that but right the special guys always probably found yeah. a way to get some well, let's, <laughs> let's talk some ball and uh tom but uh, you told us you were at the baylor game and you've seen 
Texas half dozen times or more the last uh, season and a half. How do you size him up going to this BYU game, and what did you make of the Houston escape? Well, you know, clearly the storyline is is the Quinn Ewers injury, and right. you know, how do you make that transition to Malik Murphy? Um, how much does the game plan change? How much is in the game plan for a guy that hasn't played a lot of football uh, exactly. versus a guy that you can, you know, throw the offense at him and he can probably know it on the back of his hand. So Sarkle makes some adjustments. I think the one thing that he does a really good job of is it's not about his system and the quarterback having to play his system. The system is multiple and it's maneuverable. And what I mean by that is, He's going to look at Malik Murphy, and he's going to say, okay, there's things that Quinn Ewers does really well, then you know what? Malik's not there yet. So we're going to take that stuff. We're going to take that. We're going to throw that out. We, right. Why would I ask a guy to do something he's not comfortable doing? <clears throat> and so I think the they'll find the right mix. Um, I think early on there's, there's, some, there's some what I call staples, routine staples of an offense that are easy concepts, concepts that are meant to get the ball out of your hand quickly and also meant to generate confidence, particularly on early downs. Forget all of the other stuff where you want to scheme guys up and you're going to motion and shift, you're going to do all this and that. Let's start off with the basics so he gets confident and he's comfortable. Right. Um, and then and then you build from there. And so you work through the week of practice and, you know, you're, you're scratching things off and then you say, oh, we might want to add that. And you have your conversations with, with Malik and Arch and you're saying, okay, you know, how do you feel about this? What do you like on third down here? What do you like on first down if we're backed up? And and you come to an agreement as a staff and player that, hey, I'm comfortable, you're comfortable. So if we, this is what we go into the game plan with, you tell me if if you don't like it. But you got to right. tell me now so that we know. And, and he so listens. I think he listens. And I think that's the big storyline in this game. Listen, BYU has somehow managed to be five and two. I'm not quite sure how. I'm not either. But they are five. They are they are five and two. Right. Now the the schedule is backloaded for them. Um, you know, they, they, they've been a different team at night than they have been during the day for whatever reason, BYU plays an entirely different type of game. You know, they were the beneficiary of five turnovers and a third string quarterback at Texas tech a week ago in Provo, uh, the schedule on the front end, you know, they've had a reeling Arkansas, um, but on the back end, they're going to start taking the field against some teams that are more talented than they are more experienced than they are. Um, you know, the, the one thing about BYU coming into the conference that I think it's different than Cincinnati or UCF or Houston is that because of their independence over the last several years, their schedule was always littered with power five teams and good power five teams, Tennessee, SC, Arkansas. Like, so this jump for them, I think they've kind of known what to expect. It's not too big. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they're a bit older. They've got guys coming back from missions. They've got a larger roster. I mean, they have some things that benefit them in that regard, but, Aside from the quarterback position for Texas, I think the one thing that stands out to most the most to me in this matchup is BYU is, has been horrendous on third down offensively. They cannot convert a third down. I don't know why it is. I don't know what's created all the issues, but they are at or near the bottom. I think they're 124th this week. Last That's week, crazy. they were 130th wow. right, going into the Texas Tech game. Yeah, is that what they want? Okay, so now yeah, you're te- right. Texas, Texas coincidentally – is like tops in that regard. Like Texas gets off the field on third down defensively. Yeah. So that tells me that BYU better have success on first and second down so they can get third and manageable. If they don't, then it, it could be a long day. And that happened to them two weeks ago 
on the road against TCU, which, by the way, was a day game. And they did not play well. I have no, it's just a, a weird thing for the Cougs. But um, listen, you know, I, I think with Texas as a whole, this is a roster from Sark's arrival. This is a roster that has been built for another conference. You know, Sark coming okay. coming over, coming over from Alabama, having been in those stadiums, faced those teams, he knows full well that if you are going to compete in the SEC, you better have a line of scrimmage built football team. On yes. both sides of the ball. And, and and to be honest with you, that's true for any sport. You look at any sport, baseball, basketball, football. Championship teams are built from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And so where I've seen the greatest improvement is in the offensive line and the defensive front seven. To the point where you look at them and you say, not only are they playing like that, they look like that. Like they have the body types. Um, I, I was sharing, you guys may or may not know this. A couple of years ago, I was kind of examining some recruiting stuff, and I was looking. I'm trying to figure out why were the offensive line and the guys they took not panning out. Mm-hmm. And I started, I started to really kind of dig into it. Did you guys know that Texas hasn't had a first round oh, offensive lineman since yeah. 2002? Yeah. Like, well, the job. How is that even? Yeah, how is yeah. that even possible? Right? It's, it's, it's amazing. And now this group might have two or three mm-hmm. potentially Thanks um sure. yeah. It, yeah and so they've they've really regrouped in that area and then like i said they've built from the inside out so you get a skill piece here you go out and, and you know you complement a uh an xavier worthy with a john take uh, cook or deandre moore those next men up uh you bring in nayer for wyoming uh, obviously, Jatavion Sanders has, has been a, a complete mismatch for people. So the pieces of the puzzle seems to be seem to be falling into place because I think the long term vision from Sark and his staff was we got to finish things out. Let's try and win the Big Twelve. But when we step foot in that conference, we cannot be behind in the areas that matter. And I think they've done a nice job of that. And he said it um, uh, after the first year. We've got to get some more massive human beings. Yeah, I knew what the problem was, and he addressed it. Now you're you're a quarterback, and you're for a former mm-hmm. coach. What are you saying to Malik Murphy during this week of practice? It's the biggest week of his life. I, I think what I what I'm saying is you don't have to wear an S on your chest, right? You don't have to do it all. You don't have to come out in force plays. Let the game come to you. And the most important coaching point in all of football when it comes to quarterbacks is take what the defense gives you. If the five-yard hitch is there, throw it, yeah. all right? If if we've got a design here and we're going to run double slants and that flat defender buzzes the, the outside slant, hit that front slant. Believe what you see. Trust in what you see. Um, I, I think the other thing, too, that, that when you haven't played a lot, particularly at the college level, is if he's under duress, all right, and he's having to throw with people in his face, it's okay to throw it away and live the play the next down. Don't force it. Um, And even sometimes you're better off taking a sack. It may not be ideal, but it's a better alternative than throwing it over the middle. It gets tipped and intercepted because you're off platform and and you just make a poor decision. So I I think a lot of it is just playing from within yourself and and don't try to do uh, too much. And, you know, it's easier said than done because with with Malik Murphy, some of – First of all, you got to look at him, I think, from, from two different angles. Number one, he's extremely physically gifted. 
I mean, you, you see the size. He's imposing. <laughs> he's got a strong arm. The ball comes out with power. It carries and finishes. There's not. He's got a much stronger arm than Quinn Ewers does. Um, in terms oh, of yeah. power and in terms of power and velocity. And that's saying something. And that's saying something. Yeah, that yeah, is. It's saying something. And so you know he can make all of the throws and all the nooks and crannies. All right. So that part impresses you. My concern when he was coming out of high school was, for a guy that physically gifted, he never completed during the course of his career more than fifty nine percent of his passes, mm. and. That's a pretty low number. His junior year, he completed 53.9, I think, percent of his passes. And sometimes that, when you're looking at that and you're saying, boy, this guy's really, really talented, and he's clearly one of the most talented pe- people on the field of both teams, that completion rate should be a lot higher. So then you start to start to examine, all right, is he a guy that's maybe not innately accurate? Is he a guy that can be erratic with the football? And so that's going to be something on Saturday I'm going to be paying close attention to is, is ball placement, timing rhythm does he give his guy a chance does he put it where it needs to be where his guy can get it and others don't or does he have an open guy on a co-route and he airmails it or does he have an, an open guy running down the sideline and he overthrows it or throws it out of bounds you know those are things i think you know completion percentage in today's game with you know in the old days if you were complete when i say old days i'm saying just 20 years ago if yeah. you're completing 65 percent of your passes Boy, you are really hitting the mark. Nowadays, with, with yeah, nowadays with the bubble screens and the under screens and the slip screens and all the dink and dunk and the spread and, and the RPO, you know that numbers into the high sixties, low seventies, mid seventies sometimes. Right. And so he's going to have to, I think, show that Sark can trust his overall accuracy playing and play out. And and that's a great question, guys. It's like you know Mike Leach. Uh, uh, famously said, you can't teach passers to be accurate. They're, he I said they totally were wrong. And I totally agree with him. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't know if that's held him back a little bit. And Sark has raved about Arch Manning, you know. And, and sure. you know, if he walks in there for a snap on, on Saturday afternoon, that place is going to go nuts. So, no doubt. If, and I don't know how much you saw Arch play in high school, lower level, obviously. But does sure. he have yeah. that accuracy gene more than a Oh yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I think I use the term innate, innately accurate, meaning right. that it just comes natural. It just it's is fair. what he is. When the ball needs to be here, it's here. When the ball needs to be here, it's here. When it needs to be here, it's here. And yeah. um not putting the ball in harm's way routinely. Um and you know, speaking on that with with Arch, and and I think it's it's interesting, and I don't know how much he'll reveal. He's usually very upfront with us, but without all of us on the outside truly knowing what the timeline is for Quinn Ewers, right? You've got to consider the way this season is going to play out going forward. So you've got this game this week, then you have four remaining games. Well, you can play four and still redshirt. Right. So I, my inclination would be that you cr- try to get through BYU and can can Malik Murphy get you through that game and not have to play Quinn Ewers, or excuse me, Arch Manning, with the knowledge of whatever it is you think you're going to have Quinn Ewers back. So I think it's kind of a three-pronged thought process of, all right, he may be out this long. This is the earliest we could get him back. How will Malik play? If he plays well enough, great. We keep riding him. If not, but we can get through the BYU game, then do we start to consider, okay, maybe we give 16 a chance, 
And now you know you are safe playing him the rest of the way and not burning his red shirt. I wonder if you might play both of them a little bit. Give uh, BYU different looks, and and uh, Arch is a good runner. You know we've seen. Yeah, he's that. a good athlete. Yeah, and and you like you said, Malik's just got a gun, and Sark loves to stretch the field for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, back everybody up, show the threat, so on. So I just yeah. wonder if he might really play them both a little bit. See if one catches fire. See if one's more comfortable. Well, like I said, you doing that, you know, you're burning one game right there. Right. So now right. and now the remainder of the season, again, a lot of this depends on information that none of us may know in terms of when Quinn could come back. Oh yeah. Um, you know, a sprained grade two on on your throwing shoulder. Now that's Oof. that's that could be problematic. You know, it's not you the. Do you think that's like there. a three week thing, four week thing? Is it a pain tolerance thing, Tom? I, I think, and I've had one on the left side. I haven't had one on the throwing shoulder, but I think it's a, it's a likely a couple week thing when it comes to ensuring you don't create further damage, and then it becomes a pain tolerance thing. Right. Um, right. And then, uh, and again, you know, this thing, this this is what happens at this time of year, right? It's not just Texas. It's it's everybody. It's who can stay healthy, who avoids the big injury. When does your bye week come? Um, do you have the depth to weather the storm as this thing, everybody starts getting tired and you're racing? I mean, because Texas right now really controls their path to a college oh, yeah. football playoff. Yes, sir. Every single week they could, they don't rely on anybody but themselves if they want to be able to do it. So you got to have the horses in the stable. Obviously, it's not ideal to, to lose your starting quarterbacks. So you're going to come up, have to come up with some answers there. The good news is I think Texas is so good on defense that they go into every game with the ability to keep the score down and manageable if things aren't going great on offense. That's true. And this is so fascinating to me, Tom, because so many layers. What if Quinn's out for longer? Yeah. And what if if Quinn's draft stock goes way down and Quinn goes, man, I'm a first-round pick, but I just got to light it up next year. And then you go, I'm coming back. And then Arch is like, wow, did I come here to and Malik, Malik, Malik's gone, obviously. Yeah, but Arch is yeah. like, I didn't come here to sit for two years. Yeah, uh, you don't know. quarterback, and so uh, I, I think, and I'm not speaking for him, but this is my opinion. I think Sark's like, Quinn, get back in here, man. Don't get back in here, <laughs> light him up in the last last month of the season, and 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 go play for the Atlanta Falcons or whatever. Go go rejoin Bijan. But hey, you know what? But you know what, said you're right, you're right about that. Obviously, he wants Quinn back for a whole bunch of reasons. But this goes beyond all. Well, how many games do you play? Arch, who's a little bit more ready? Sure, you're a national championship chase until you're not. And like Tom just said, you 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 still got your whole year in front of you, and you're a contender. So yeah, in all fairness to the quarterbacks and especially Arch, it's like you know you got to keep this train on. The tracks and you got real. This, Doug, do you do you think assurances were made to the Mannings that that no, Arch would redshirt this year, or do you just think they're trust Sark to to do the right thing? I don't think they guy. make arrangements. You know, there was always the talk that Chris Sims was promised the job over Major Applewhite. You know, but you don't get the Gatorade number one national player of the year. You know, to sit the bench. So you know, to your point, you're exactly right. But to me. You just got to win games, and 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 Arch yeah. and Manning family would understand that. There's so much on the line. So, but well, think Arch, about this Arch too. Wouldn't he? Never won anything, but that's okay. Yeah, 
but 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 think about this too from uh if you're looking at it from the long view and i and i have the feeling that the mannings do that like they're, they're not just looking at something through a, a very narrow prism they're saying okay well let's just say let's just say quinn comes back all right that means that arch manning would have two years of like development growth maturity learning not having the pressure of the weight of the world on his shoulders right. as a young player and then all of a sudden if he wanted to he could have three years as a starter at texas you could so if quinn comes back like i don't think that hurts arch manning now malik murphy i think would have to find another home have to go. and that's have fine to go. that's fine yeah. but yeah. i think that i think the mannings as a, as a family and the the support structure have a lot of faith in in Sark's player development of the quarterback position. There's a lot of proof in that pudding, right? Yeah. Um, I met goes down back to Matt Leinart and, and a lot of these guys and Mark Sanchez and then Jake Locker up at Washington and you know obviously the quarterbacks at Alabama. So we are in this world of instant gratification. I want it now, now, now. I want it yesterday. I want to play right away. I want to start right now. That doesn't always mean it's the right thing for you or the best thing for you. I, I like the approach that the Mannings have taken in this. And I, to be honest with you, I, I think that Sark realizes that, okay, we don't have to play this guy right this second, and we're right. not being pressured by the family to do it either. Right. I think he would only play him if he thinks that gives him the best chance to win. You know, it wouldn't right. be for the pressure. And, and you touched on the defense, Tom. Uh Texas has feasted on backup quarterbacks all year. Now they played two back to back, Dylan Gabriel and Donovan Smith, veteran quarterbacks, and you know, Gabriel at UCF and Smith at Tech. And even before that, you know, Miroy was technically a starting quarterback. But those three quarterbacks alone threw for 991 yards and six touchdowns. These backup quarterbacks averaged 181 yards. Are you seeing cracks in that defense and especially in the secondary? With the injuries, yeah. Um, well, they've been, they've been banged up a, a little bit, um, right? But I, yeah. I, I I think at times, um, if if you were to look at the defense, you would say, okay, well, where are they maybe vulnerable? I think it's on the outside, on the perimeter, mm-hmm. more so than it is down the middle of the defense. I'd prefer it to be there, where you don't want to be vulnerable is down the no, middle. No, you don't. Um, because those guys sometimes on the outside are a long, long way away from where the snap starts. And so, um, but they're coming. I, I remember going into the Baylor game and, you know, you had, you had Watts and, and Malik and I think um, Barron actually slipped over there too a little bit and they were kind of mm-hmm. all rotating at one corner spot. They were all actually playing pretty good. Right. So they just kept letting them play. Right. It wasn't like they were in this position to say, well, we got it. We got to line up with this guy and only play this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I think, guys? I, I really believe this. We are in an era right now in college football, more so than ever before, where it is really hard to coach and play defensive football. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, think, think about this. Everybody's complaining and bitching about tackling and all this and that. Well, look what we're asking these kids to do. We're in an era of player safety. Yeah. We are an era of no contact. We're in an era of trying to preserve the players during the week. So we're going to go out there and we're going to roll foam donuts around the field and have players tackle those right. as opposed to doing old school nine on seven and 11 on 11 and yeah. lining up and blooding into others' noses and putting people in space and tackling. So then we're going to go put them out there on a Saturday and expect them all of a sudden tackle. It doesn't work that way. And with these offenses now, 
they're spreading everybody so thin horizontally and so thin vertically that if they get you matched up on space, even if you're good on defense, you're going to miss. Right. It's just the it's the the teams with the really good fronts, like a Texas, an Alabama, a Georgia, an Ohio State, a Penn State, maybe a Clemson. They're going to get away with more because they can impact the quarterback. They can right. disrupt the quarterback. Without There's going to be more incompletions. Yeah, without blitzing, controlling it with four down. So the ball might be in there and it's an errant throw, or maybe the ball doesn't even get into the air. And so the back end gets protected a little bit. The space gets protected. But if sure. you're not one of those teams, it's hard to – like I remember in the old days, shoot, in the old days, if you gave up 375 yards a game on defense, they were going to fire your butt. Exactly. Now – now you can give up 550 and win the game. Exactly. Like, it's crazy. I don't, I don't know how defensive coordinators sleep at night. And then you oh. leave the targeting rule, you know, like RPO. Got, you know, option. Got, I was watching last week. A kid got yeah. popped for targeting. It was a power five. I can't remember which one. There was, there was 15 seconds left in the game, and he got popped for targeting, and now he's got to sit out. That was a Utah, yeah. it was a Utah, Utah USC. You got to sit out the first half of this game. Ten seconds left in the game. They got to do something about that. I can't believe that. That rule bothers me so much. Listen, I I think there needs to be levels of targeting, like a level one, level two, whatever, like where one one level has like a malicious intent or intent to harm. Another one is just like a bang-bang play, couldn't be avoided. Clearly there was no intent to to go after somebody or spear or lead. And then then if if you're going to do it, Give them the penalty, but let's get rid of the punitive. Oh well, you're suspended. And if you want to, if you want to suspend them for the rest of that game, fine. That's yeah. don't let it leak over into the rest of the game. And um, come on, to the rest of the season, it's ridiculous. I like to see it as a cumulative penalty. You get three targeting, you're out of full game, or two targeting. Where okay, this looks like a trend, but I hate I right targeting rule too. I'm I'm right. Uh, just to look around the country real quick, Tom. Uh, I don't know if you got a a surefire college football playoff top four, but this is as wide open as I've ever seen it. And if you don't have an allegiance to a team, you got to love this college football season. It's great, man. And I think we're in for more surprises. I really do. I think there is going to be, there are going to be, again, we're dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids, right? And they're not always going to go out and have the best day. They're not always going to go out focused. They will pay attention to how a team they're about to play played the previous week against a bad team. You look at Miami and Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech's right. coming off the loss to Bowling Green at home. So what does Miami do? They go out and fiddle around, and they get their butt beat. And so we're seeing it every week. Yeah. Um, but I think, I, you know, Michigan hasn't been challenged, but everything my eyes tell me, tell they're me they're really good. They're, they're really, really good. And they're good yeah. in the areas that matter. And so I think they're probably the clear cut right now, number one. I still think Georgia, even though the losses Brock, of Brock Bowers could be big, their their competitive depth and their talent top to bottom within their roster is is pretty vastly superior to ninety nine percent of the other teams out there. Um, and then you know I, I I look at a bunch of teams that you could clump in there that you say I could see that team being number three or I could see that team being number four. So you've yeah. got Florida State, you've got Oregon and Washington, you've got Texas, you've got Oklahoma, and Ohio State. To, Ohio State's another one. So, like, I think you could take a lot of those teams, throw them up against the wall, and see who yeah. sticks. And you could probably pick a handful of them and say, "Okay, they'd survive just as well as they would survive." You know, yeah. the, the Ohio State team, while it hasn't been pretty, kind of like Alabama, it hasn't necessarily been pretty. Yeah, 
Like Ohio State's least had two elite level wins to top ten matchups. Definitely. They have done that. Others yeah. have not done that. Um, you know, Texas and Alabama play. Uh, Texas beats Alabama, and now all of a sudden Alabama's starting to like come along. And like you look at Alabama and you're like, all right, they're going to screw around and mm-hmm. find a way to get into this college football they playoff mix. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to do it. And so, um, and that's what yeah, makes it so much fun. Them to win. Texas needs that. Yeah. Big yeah. time. Yeah. No doubt. And, and, you know, like you said, this is such a great year. This is part of the year. I wish we had the 12 team, you know, college football playoff because we'd have some, some terrific games, I think, if we oh, had. Oh, yeah. I mean, year. think about Utah, Oregon State. Yeah. Like, Oregon State is a problem. Like, awesome. th- there's there yeah. would be some great matchups in that 6 to 12 seating. Oh, you my know? God. Arizona's getting better. I watched Arizona. I know it. Play USC yeah. off their feet and, and should have won that game. So I don't know. Uh, real quick, uh, Michigan sign stealing. Uh, it sure looks like it's it happened. And oh, what kind of oh, yeah. punishment would would be appropriate for Michigan if it's proven? So if what if what's alleged comes to fruition, all right? Because yeah. what's alleged is pretty diabolical. Because listen, in game sign stealing, part of the deal. Sure. It's part of the game. It's one of the reasons why you've seen over the last four to five years, these sidelines are starting to change, right? You're seeing tarps over the back benches. You're seeing people holding up these big, huge, tall right. drapes over their signals and this and that. And if you also noticed, people have gotten away from the big signs with like, you know, a Captain America shield or, yeah. or Daffy Dock or this and that. That stuff started to go away, right? That's so everybody's very protective in game. The problem I have with what's being alleged here is if you're going to go out on the road in person with audio and video devices to be able in an advanced setting, what I mean advanced, you're playing this weekend and the team you're watching, you're not playing for three weeks. Right. And you go and you gather all of that stuff and you now have the ability to match up that signal with the play that was run and prepare all of that stuff with your coaches. Now, hear me out. Football is still about blocking and tackling, protecting the ball, scoring, preventing the other team from scoring. So while you can put a team in a position if it knows what play is coming, you still have to stop it. Let's acknowledge that. Right. But I'll tell you what, if you knew on every snap, when you saw that signal exactly what the play was, and you had the ability to position yourself of knowing it's coming, that's a whole different set of circumstances. And I think that's where this thing is, is not good. It's not yeah. good, and uh, it's not good for college football. And if you're asking me what I think, if what's alleged comes to fruition and it's there's proven evidence, um, I, I think the severity of it should include a, a ban from a college football playoff. This year? Um, uh, no, no, I don't think they'll get to that because the NCAA doesn't move that fast. Right, yeah, I they start? Yeah, I know. So go, but going forward, I think this is something from an integrity of the game standpoint that you cannot tolerate. You would have to levy such a severe penalty that it would send a ripple effect and a message across college football. Don't even dare to do it. Don't even dare to try. And right now, guys, you guys know as well as I do, the NCAA wants their pound of flesh from Jim Harbaugh. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. And And Jim Harbaugh would be very smart to follow the Pete Carroll playbook. Get out one step ahead of the pot, <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. and go and go coach the the Colts or the Bears or somebody yeah. like that. No, I agree with you. I'd right. say a one year ban on postseason and a one year suspension 
for a hardball, like or who would yeah. probably be in the NFL, we'll like said. We'll be gone. Yeah. He'll be gone. Yeah. 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 Man, um, this has been fun, Tom. Pleasure, man. Great. This has been yeah, so man. Good. I can't believe we haven't I had you all before, and you're going to be our regular now. So, uh, all right, well, good. I'm glad to hear it. I appreciate you been, all having me. It's been a good time. It's well, been so I much. Appreciate fun. you. Uh, look forward to you on the call, two thirty p.m. on Saturday, BYU at Texas. Tom Luganville is one of the best out there, and uh, we can't we can't wait to see you. We'll look for you in the press box, sir. Good good chicken right. tacos in the press box. We'll come get some. Oh. Oh, DKR's got some good food in the press box, I'm aware. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thanks guys. Thanks so much for having me. Be Thank good. you, Tom. Have Take a good day. Right, see ya. Bye. Right, bye-bye. On second thought. Doug, what a conversation with Tom Luganville. Just a wealth of information. And why did it take us so long to get him on the show, Doug? I tell you, he's going to be a regular now. He, he talked about so many different topics, and here's a guy that was a star quarterback, uh, the National Junior College Player of the Year. So uh, he knows what he's talking about, and obviously he knows about recruiting too. So uh, great guest. What what are we going? Uh, I mean, we were dead wrong about the Houston game. Not dead wrong in that Texas loss. We yeah. were right when they were up twenty-one nothing because we knew they were going to cover that spread. But then all of a sudden they're in a dogfight and, and and they get out of there with a win. 17 and a half point favorite at the taping of this podcast over BYU. Is that number a little high? Vegas is usually right on about these kind of things. Well, it seems a little high, but I think also one of the reasons you and I picked Texas in a blowout last week was even Tom on Thursday told us, yeah, I got a team that's a little pissed off, you know. Yeah, but that pissed off feeling – Went from the uh, team to the Texas own fans because they, they went, what the hell happened? They were only pissed off for a quarter. I mean, they scored on that first drive in the second quarter and then 10 points. The rest, the rest of the game. Of the game. <laughs> they lost their intensity, and that's why it is hard to flip a switch, you know, once that game is starting. And uh, so I kind of have a problem with adjustments by – you know, Sark and Pete Kwiatkowski, the defensive coordinators, best in the second half. Yeah, and, and you know, Kalani Sataki has had some problems on defense over the last couple of seasons, new defensive coordinator. Yeah. He's come in with some wrinkles, and and you know they're going to try to try to confuse the young quarterback. But I just think that Texas has enough in its barn, in its bag, um, to to go in there, support this young quarterback, and get out of there. I think with 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 a sizable uh, spread at the end. I just don't. I just don't know if it's going to be seventeen. It just to me, Duck. It feels like a, a like a thirty-one to fourteen type game. Yeah, you know, or even closer because we don't know what we're going to get with with Malik and and the defense is reeling a little bit with some injuries because they've given up some big numbers. What is it like fifty-five points in the last two games? And that's not a right. dominant defense. You know, it really isn't. So uh, it, it, it definitely seems high to me. And uh, like I said, BYU is five and two, you know, and they punked Texas Tech, you know, last week. But uh, as Tom reminded us, I mean, they got five turnovers. They were playing a number three. Number three. So, uh, and, you know, they went in Arkansas and won. So they're not a great third down uh, offense. Uh, they're running game has been atrocious. They only average 79 yards a game. So you figure Texas should take advantage of that, but they've been vulnerable to the passing game. So we'll see. 
if Malik can hit on some some uh, long ones. Um, before we get out of here, we decided we're gonna we're gonna dazzle you with a new segment that we're gonna do every week, and it's called "I Don't Even Know You Anymore." And I'm just and the reason we're doing it is I am so tired of arguing with Kirk Bowles when the cameras aren't running. Some of the best arguments are when the or when we're just at lunch or 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 hanging out. And so um, we decided we're not going to argue off camera anymore. We're going to share our arguments with you. So our first segment is all about the quarterbacks. Kirk, what's your take on Arch Manning? And I know you're wrong, but get it out of the way so I could destroy you in these last five minutes. When have I ever been wrong? Come on, dude. I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I put in my nine things this week that you know maybe you should consider playing both of them, uh, especially if Malik struggles in the early going. Because, uh, oh, uh, you know, to me, this isn't about whether Arch Manning should redshirt or not because they got five games left, and you and I both know he can play four, and it's not kind of one of his four years of eligibility. But it's just they got too much on their plate to worry about stuff like that. And can't play him. No, if Malik's playing well, you don't play him against BYU. Oh, no, no. If he you're comes out. BYU. Oh, no. As usual, you're misunderstanding. You know, you have comprehension. Up, explain it. Explain but, it. Well, I mean, if, if Malik comes in and throws five touchdowns and 390 yards, heck yeah. He's the, the red guy. shirt twin. Never <laughs> twin. I think he's beyond the – that uh, uh, but uh well and here's the other thing too is like uh tom said is that i worry about the accuracy thing because that's something you cannot teach and like he said uh i didn't follow his high school career that closely like tom luganville did but he said he's like a 59 percent uh completion percentage guy and that kind of you know my ears kind of perked up a little bit and maybe because he didn't have great receivers maybe because he throws it like a howitzer. He's nine. He was nine of thirteen for a buck sixty-five. Looked very accurate in the spring game, but we know that they weren't able to touch him. But right. What I've seen. I think he'll be fine. <clears throat> Asking him to be Vince Young, and you, 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 did you really just ask me when have you ever been wrong? And I brought up Vince Young. I'm just gonna leave that there. I'm just gonna leave oh, that. It's gonna be that kind of. When when when. Are they going to ask him to be BY? They just aren't. You got Jonathan Brooks. You've got some good receivers. You got X. You got J Dub. You got all those weapons on the outside. You can and throw. Didn't they have last those, week? Didn't they what? have those weapons last week? Yeah, but he didn't. He was coming in off of a. He didn't practice with the ones last week. You really thought he was just going to come in like nope. Superman? Uh, like a backup, and, and I mean, he worked hard to get ready, but he wasn't working with the ones. Oh, I'm not putting on Malik. Hooks and Xavier not, and, 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 and Malik. I'm not putting it on, on Malik. I'm putting on the whole Texas offense, which was didn't score for like 37 minutes. That's not a Malik issue. That's an offensive issue. So, we're, but we're talking about Malik, sir. And I think Arch Manning is going to be fine. But I don't think that Arch Manning. Uh, if, if they're comfortably ahead, um, and he know and Sark knows that Quinn yours is going to be back in a couple of weeks. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know. He that. knows more than we know, Doc. He, he knows. He knows. He knows the severity of it. I mean, he's 
Anytime a coach says, oh, he's week to week, that doesn't tell us anything. We knew that before. Well, no, he was – he at least didn't say he was day-to-day because that implies like, well, maybe he can play Saturday. Week to week means he knows he's out two and maybe three, if not more. And it's like like Tom said, you don't know how people are going to respond to injury. You know, how much pain can he tolerate? And like he said, he had a, a left shoulder uh, joint sprain. But this is on his right. It's on his – throwing arms so you don't know you, you got a chance for your first ever college football playoff or ever in school history i mean tcu became the first school from texas to to get in the cfp so if it means burning uh, a year for arch manning if if malik was ineffective and and they needed him to win a game i say you put arch in there i think you try to do what's right by the player and preserve his eligibility if you can. But the Mannings are all about winning, and they know. I think he would sacrifice a year if it meant playing one game or two games. But then the dynamic is going to change. And what if no, he comes change. back and here all of a sudden, uh, if that happens, if they burn that red shirt and Arch plays six, five or six games, then Queen yours might might uh, he might he might become a grad transfer next year or, or just go and transfer to someone else because I don't think he's interested in coming back here and competing with a kid for the starting quarterback position. Well, he wouldn't be transferring. That's crazy talk. Why would he Not? transfer? What, I'm if, just so let me, well, let me ask you this. Go ahead. Uh, ask professor. me. If Arch Manning. Yeah. Shreds in the last five games. Oh, if he's starting Saturday and then well, shreds. If he, comes in, if he comes in against BYU, shreds, starts okay. next week, shreds, and then all of a sudden uh, he's so hot and then Quinn's like, I think I can play now. And what is Sark going to do then? Because your, your franchise quarterback says he's ready, but Arch is, is burning burning it up. Do you sit, Quinn, and go, oh, Quinn, we just want you to be 100% healthy? Do you do that? And then all of a sudden you got your nice little quarterback controversy, and I don't know that Quinn wants to come back without the certainty that he's the guy next year. I think Quinn would leave. Well, there's a lot of issues you just bring up. Now, does Archman look great for two games or – is he looked great for three or four, and then you got man, do you upset the apple cart? Do you worry about the rhythm? The other thing, too, is you know, if I'm Quinn's daddy, I'm saying you probably ought to go pro no matter what. You played two years of college ball, guess what? You got hurt both years, you know, and, and how many more shoulder injuries or collarbone injuries do you have in your career? So I would almost think he's gone regardless, I would think. Uh, but we don't know. But if we your don't draft stock falls and you're a third or fourth round pick, why wouldn't you come back and improve it like Russell it, did? What if you come back and don't prove it and you get hurt again? Chance you take, sir. Sure you do. Sure you do. I would I would go as a third rounder. Uh seem to me, what's the name of that guy? Brock Purdy? Well, what what's he? Mr. Oh, Mr. Irrelevant. The last pick of the draft, and people are talking about him like he's Joe Montana. He's accurate also. So he I'm was just accurate saying, this past week. He, he he threw it very well to both teams, yes. Oh, oh, that's right. They played the best defense in football. No, that was Cleveland. They were playing Minnesota, wasn't he? 
And let's not go into that since he's my fantasy quarterback. But don't you? So I would, I wouldn't put money on it, but Mm -hmm. I would think Quinn would probably be gone regardless to go pro. You disagree? No, I don't. But I think he'll be gone if if Arch burns his red shirt. Quinn will not play for Texas next year. He transfers. Yes, because Arch Manning is a rock star, and Quinn, as good as he is. I don't see him as a rock star. He's not. No. He, he doesn't bring. Need- he doesn't bring that 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 <clears throat> that fire from the fans that Colt brought or that Vince. Yeah. But he's a really good college quarterback, and he's very. He's a kind of a the laid back demeanor probably doesn't help him. Probably not. Much. But Arch Manning is is hasn't spoken to us, and I don't even know that he's an extrovert. But he's a Manning. He's a Manning. He's got that pedigree, and that works for him. Yeah, I don't think he would transfer. I would think he'd either go pro or come back. But like you said in the scenario, you kind of painted if Arch, you know, replaces Malik, if Malik's ineffective and then just goes on to look great for three games, four games, you know, maybe his heart does have a decision to make. Uh, I think Quinn would probably go pro anyway. But I was glad I was able to to clear this up and uh, – uh, be wrong again. You know, y'all, you can email us and tell us what you thought. I mean, uh, I Kirk, Kirk just he just never wins these, but that's okay. He wanted to do it. Um, I'm up 1 0. Wonderful, wonderful discussion. Great <laughs> podcast today. Awesome. With Tom Lugan, Bill, we're gonna have him on again. Uh, hopefully. Uh, maybe during the CFP would be a good time because I know he's going to be all over that. Um, that's going to do it for this week's show. Special shout out to a listener. Rodney Jackson in San Diego, California, is listening to our podcast every week and reading our stuff. We are international. We're going to be international because I know there's someone in France that listens to Doug. So we, we are uh we're spreading our wings on this podcast. We're doing. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, any any ideas? Any any suggestions? Criticisms? We don't care. We just want to hear from you. We want to keep you yeah. listening. But we appreciate you listening and watching us this week. And we'll be back next week. Thanks to Chandler Hoffley, our producer, for Kirk Bowles, the Duck. I'm Sid Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to One Second Thought. Powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.